Good morning and greetings to each one in Christ's name this morning. It's good to be with you on this Easter Sunday morning. Excuse me, Phil. Did I use the wrong word there? <laughs> you know, I, I haven't, I guess, put a tremendous amount of thought into what Phil shared there about some of the discrepancies, might you say. But I did read an article here recently that made me a little more aware that, oh, there are some differing opinions out there. Um, and I, I, think, I think you're right, Phil. Um, just the fact that Christ is risen. And that's what's most important. It's not um, important that we understand exactly how those three days and three nights were. But Christ is risen, and praise God for that this morning. Thank you for sharing in the Sunday school, Brother Lamar, and you don't have to feel apologetic at all. I guess it can be expected that when we're um, having our Easter Sunday service, that that's going to happen, and as well as other special services we have. I uh, do want to invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a message this morning. And um, I was aware of where the Sunday school lesson was, and I actually um, took one of the, or one of the passages uh, of the daily readings for this past week, uh, which is, I forget which verses it was, but parts of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is, is looking at the resurrection and um, is teaching on the resurrection and the fact that it certainly did happen and what that means to us. And it's, it's a lengthy chapter. I plan to just kind of break it up into sections and I, I feel... Um, I guess you could say a little unqualified to share on this passage. I um, feel like I'm doing maybe just a, somewhat of an overview of the passage, uh, but I, I trust that we can um, be blessed as we look into the resurrection and, and what it means to us and, and what it will mean to us. looking at the resurrection of Christ and our bodily resurrection as well. So I want to start here reading the first 11 verses. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye, had be unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. 
And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. So he opens up here uh, with the passage, just uh, looking at the fact that Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again. We see that there in verses 3 and 4. And then the, uh, he brings out the appearances of Christ, uh, first to Cephas, then to the twelve, then above 500 at one time. Then of James, and last of all, he was seen of me also, of Paul himself. Now, Paul's seeing Christ after his resurrection um, would have been after his ascension as well. On the road to Damascus, when he was struck down by a light, uh, Paul um, met with Jesus there, if I'm understanding correctly. So, as I thought of that, and of Christ appearing to over 500 people after his resurrection, I had to think about, maybe it kind of happens with, with uh, men, maybe women some too, boys, young boys, but uh, thinking about proof. And I can kind of imagine a group of, of boys after church. And um, I think I can say this because I was, I was a young boy at one time too. And uh, I'm sure I did my share of bragging, but a young boy saying, I can lift 100 pounds. And what do his friends say? No, you can't do that. Or prove it. Prove to me that you can lift 100 pounds. Let's see the evidence. I'm not going to believe you till I see the evidence. So Christ and Brother Lamar talked about some of that proof too um, there of Jesus eating um, a piece of broiled fish, the honeycomb. And there was evidence that Christ was risen in body. So the appearances to men and the different evidences, that validates in the human mind, validates that Christ really rose. It helps us to believe that Christ did rise from the dead. Paul did acknowledge his own unworthiness to have seen Christ. And this morning, who of us is worthy to see, receive the gifts, the riches of salvation? Not one of us is worthy, but it's because of Christ, it's because of his grace that he has shed upon us. What does Paul say here? By, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think each one of us here this morning can say that. It's but by the grace of God that we are what we are.
Christ is risen from the dead. Let's go on to uh, the next section of verses here, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So Paul is bringing out here, we could say, the, the fallacy of the belief of no resurrection. Paul is speaking to a group of believers here. In verse 1 he says, he talks about the gospel which I have preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand. So he is speaking to a group of believers in Christ. But then it says, How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So I don't know if maybe these were people who had mixed in some of the teaching of the, the Sadducees, who believe there is no resurrection, but somehow there was a mixture there of truth and error. And Paul was, was wanting to correct that error in them. He says, If the dead rise not, then Christ is not risen. Our faith is vain. He says, we are of all men most miserable. And we'll look some more at that futility of what life would be without Christ down later. But uh, there's a, a book um, on 1 Corinthians written by a Sanford Shetler. And a statement he makes in there is that the resurrection of Christ and his people is interdependent. Christ's Resurrection makes our resurrection possible, and the Christian's resurrection affirms Christ's resurrection. So because of Christ's resurrection, we also will rise. We'll have a bodily resurrection, and our resurrection proves, affirms the resurrection of Christ. If there were no resurrection, there would be no hope. And I pondered, the f if there was no resurrection, if there was no resurrection, is it possible that Christ would have died? Christ as God could not cease to exist. There had to be a resurrection, if I'm understanding that correctly. Christ is risen, and there is hope. 
We have a reason to live. It's much further than the here and now. It's a reason that goes into eternity. Going on in the next section of verses here, verses 20 through 28. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Paul brings out here about death coming through man, coming through Adam. Again, we heard on that this morning. But also the resurrection came through man. He says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection. And that was the man, Jesus Christ, through whom the resurrection came. Through Adam, through man, mankind was plunged into hopelessness, into a state of loss, into a condition that he was, that we are unable to save ourselves. There was absolutely nothing that we as mankind could do about our hopeless situation. But I find it interesting that God saw it fit through a man to bring salvation to our condition of lostness, the man Jesus Christ. Christ was brought down to man. He was made man for that purpose of bringing us to Christ. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death, for every man. Christ experienced death for the salvation of the human race. But he was also, it says, the first fruits. Lay my eyes on it here. Okay, every man. Okay, Christ the first fruits, speaking of all being made alive. Christ the first fruits in verse 22. Colossians 1.18 talks about I'll just turn there quickly. Colossians 1, verse 18. Uh, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise from the dead. 
talks of the order of the resurrection. In verse 23, it says, Every man in his own order. Uh, again, coming after verse 22 there about all being made alive. Every man in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. And then it talks about the end coming. And um, I, 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 some of this we don't know as far as how the end is always going to look or how it's going to look. Um, we can have some ideas here and we get a little peek into here. It says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom unto God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. And I take that to be Christ being conqueror, victorious, that all, whether it's earthly powers, spiritual powers, that Christ will be victorious. Christ will be conqueror over those. And, and it talks about um, reigning till he put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy being death, that shall be destroyed. And then in verse 28, it talks about when he has put, when all things are subdued under him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So the final victory will be death in the resurrection of the dead. Now it talks about Christ coming and being subject to the Father. And we can know that Christ is subject to the Father at this time. But when all things are put under his rule, let me restate that, when he has claimed the final victory of all powers, whether it's earthly powers, spiritual powers, I believe that his, the victory will be sealed and that his work will be done as such, that his work of grace for the souls of men will be done. And I don't understand how that's all going to look, how it's all going to happen. And how the Father and the Son will be in heaven, um, that relationship there. But again, I do not believe that Christ is not subject to the Father at this time. Rather, he is doing the work that the Father has given him to do. Okay, going on here with uh, the next set of verses, we'll read verses 29 through 34. It says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me, if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness, and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 
So he's bringing out in the first few verses here the futility of the Christian life if there was no resurrection. If there was no resurrection, why? What shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise, not at all. Now, this teaching of baptism for the dead was an unscriptural teaching, is an unscriptural teaching. I think we understand that. But speaking to the people, uh, I, I assume some of them would have, would have thought that way, that you could be baptized for one who has died and, uh, and was not a Christian, was not saved. Um, Paul's saying, what's the point of that? Why are you doing that if you think that the dead don't rise? But then he goes on, he says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? And in verse 32, if after the manner I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me? And uh, just looking into that a little bit, um, did Paul fight with beasts at Ephesus? Um, according to this, he must have. Um, was, was likely a way that they were trying to get rid of Paul as a follower of Christ and a teacher of the gospel. But maybe we could relate that as we think of, in our world today, many faced with persecution. If there was no resurrection of the dead, what would be the point of it? If we had nothing to look forward to after this life, why not just eat and drink and have a good time? Why not just enjoy life and not worry about, about the future? So that's his point there in bringing that that there is a resurrection of the dead, that there is a life after this death. And I believe that God put it within us that we would understand, that we would realize that there is something beyond this life. And has given us an awareness of our need for him. Verses 33 and 34 there. Um, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt, good manners. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how this all fits in here, except maybe that, listen, what are the voices you're listening to? Are we listening to the voices of truth? And I challenge you, there are many voices out there today. There are many voices to be heard. There are voices that are speaking the truth, but there are many voices that are speaking the untruth. And we can hear about any voice we want to hear. We can hear what we want it to say. And we need to be very aware of that, that we are listening to the voices of the truth. They faced that back then too. And Paul was speaking against that. Okay, going on to verse uh, 35 here, 35 through 44. He says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. 
And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. For there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So in verse 35, um, we have the critic speaking. A man will say, some man will say, how are the dead raised, and with what body do they come? challenging the bodily resurrection. Paul brings out that man must die. That was brought out again this morning, that there needs to be a death to be a resurrection. And we recognize that in our lives here on this earth, that there needs to be a death to self in order to be life in Christ, life in God. Paul uses the example, the natural example, of a seed needing to sprout or needing to die first. And then it needs to sprout a new plant after it dies. At school, we uh, have planted some, some seeds, some vegetable seeds. And you take a small seed and we put it in the ground. And you wait, depends on the conditions, you don't have to wait real long, and something comes out of the ground. And it doesn't look anything like the seed that you put in under the ground. It's green. It's, it's not just a little pebble type of thing. Just a little, almost a piece of dirt, some of them don't look much more than that. But it's, it comes out, something that looks like it has life in it, something that does have life in it. And even so, he talks here about bodies that are celestial and bodies that are terrestrial. We are in our terrestrial bodies right now. But we are going to experience a celestial body someday. I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but I, from the comparison here, I get a feeling that it's not going to look like what we see sitting here. I, and if it does, there's going to be some, some really good differences. Um, he talks here about how 
It is sown in corruption. We just start. So is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. We'll have an incorruptible or an incorrupted body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. We will have a glorious body. It is sown in weakness. We face weaknesses in our body, but our bodies are going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and we are going to have then a spiritual body. Our celestial bodies will be a spiritual body. Again, we don't know what that celestial body will be like, but it will be as it pleases God. Speaking of, I can lay it on my eyes on it here. Um, I think it said here that um, about the seed that it is sown and it comes up as God pleases it to be. I'm not sure why I can't lay my eyes on that. But anyways, our celestial bodies will be as it pleases God. Far beyond what we can imagine. <clears throat> Going on to verse 45, 45 through 50. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So he brings in here the first Adam. Each one of us, as Adam, is equipped with a, a natural, a physical body, a body of flesh that holds within it a living soul. Then he talks about the last Adam. And uh, I always had in mind that this last Adam is Christ, but then... Again, you don't always listen to the commentators, but one of them kind of pushed me a little bit on that. So I, but I still believe that the last Adam was Christ. I'm I, um, just looking into other sources. Um, the last Adam, so the first Adam, a body of flesh and blood. The last Adam, a quickening spirit. And that is Christ that gives us that life-giving spirit. Adam was that of earth. Christ is the one from heaven. Now we are of this earth, but we know that we shall bear the image of the heavenly. And I, I'm not sure what all that means. Exactly what that will be like. When we get to heaven, we are given our glorified body. 
again, we need to go there to see that, but, or to, to experience that. But my mind goes to 1 John 3, 2, where it says that we know, I have to turn there, just to get it all there. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We experience that here on this earth, that we are the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, bearing the image of Christ and of our Father. Then we come to the last verses, 51. We'll read 51 through 57. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So, we are all going to experience a transformation, a bodily transformation. We shall not all sleep, I believe is referring to the fact that there still will be some alive when Christ returns. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're just going to leave the last verse there for a little bit. This earth is coming to an end. This earth is coming to an end, and there will be the fulfillment of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. And I think if we have our eyes open, we recognize that this world is coming to an end, that the time is coming short. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, which have been promised. The condition of men is going further and further from God and into not at all what God intended it to be. I think of the time of Noah. when men were becoming worse and worse. Noah was found righteous. I think of the time of Babel. Again, men becoming worse and worse. And you know, God only allowed things to go so far before he brought destruction to what was happening. 
He brought an end to those that were practicing such evil in Noah's day and to those who were trying to set themselves up as someone, as God, at the Tower of Babel. God scattered them. Today, man is trying to set himself up as God, I believe. The devil is busy. And we know from Scripture that no man knows the day or the hour of the return of Christ. But we know that it is coming closer. And when Christ returns, then we as God's people will experience that change that resurrection that's promised, that Paul was teaching about, when the corruptible will be turned to incorruptible, these bodies of flesh will be turned into glorious spiritual bodies. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Christ died and rose again. He talks about the sting of death and Christ died and rose so that we don't need to experience and to taste that sting of death but that we can have a hope of eternal life beyond this life Christ is victor over death I asked this morning how should we be living in light of the return of Christ <clears throat> That's probably a question that most of us ask. How should we be living in light of Christ's return? You know, I think if, if we knew that Christ was going to return in a week, next Sunday, that Christ would return, that there would be some, there would be changes we would make. We would... Um, we would count some things more important than other things. Um, if Christ was returning in a week, maybe some of you men are on the job building houses now. It wouldn't be very important to get those houses finished building. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, the fact is we don't know. We don't know when he's returning. But I think verse 58 here brings out how we should live in light of Christ's return. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't be moved by all that's going on around. Continue standing in the Lord. Continue serving, in God, serving God. It says, For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so I don't think we should just stop life and say, Christ is coming soon. So we stop all that we're doing and, and I don't want to say only do the important things for the kingdom. We want 
to be doing what we do for the kingdom. But as we continue living our lives, may we ever be aware of Christ returning and of just allowing God to use our daily efforts for his kingdom, for building his kingdom. And I do think, too, that as we consider his return, and I don't think it's just because we see his return close approaching. It's something that if we were living 200 years ago, yes, we should have been doing it too, but we ought to be considering the world around us and how we can impact the world for the return of Christ. Whether Christ returns in their lifetime or not, the end is the same. All who are living when Christ returns or those who have passed on before Christ returns are going to meet their reward. And what are you and I doing today to make a difference in people's lives, to point them to the kingdom of Christ, to prepare them to have a resurrection that they can look forward to. I speak that to myself as much to anyone. What am I doing? Is my life on this earth counting for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom? Let's kneel for prayer.